Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. You're listening to Father Louis Molinelli, SDB, President of Archbishop Shaw High School in Marrero, Louisiana, giving a talk entitled Your Catechetical Heritage, the 200th Anniversary of the Birth of St. John Bosco. Father Molinelli's talk was part of a Catechetical Immersion Day at Franciscan University of Steubenville. So, I'd like to begin, since this is the bicentennial year of the birth of Don Bosco, I'd like to begin with one of our prayers to St. John Bosco. Now, if you were in the morning session, you should know this by heart, because I did it in the morning session. But let us begin and place this endeavor under Don Bosco's care. As we pray, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. O St. John Bosco, Father and teacher of the young, you labored so much for the salvation of souls. Be our guide in seeking the good of our souls and the salvation of our neighbor. Help us to conquer our passions and all human respect. Teach us to love Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, Mary, help of Christians, and our Holy Father, the Pope. And obtain for us from God the grace of a happy death, so that one day we may be all gathered together with you in heaven. Amen. St. John Bosco. Mary, help of Christians. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, I had two choices today. I figured this is the last thing of the day, so I have this binder that I was going to present from cover to cover. I'm kidding, really. I'm serious. And then I have this. How's that? I think we'll go with this version of the binder. How's that sound today? And I have a series of handouts to give at the end. I am the quintessential Salesian teacher. I don't give handouts at the beginning because you'll ignore me. Because it's the end of the day. And you'll you know, give something to doodle. This way we have to pay attention to one another. But let me tell you something about myself, why I'm so passionate about Don Bosco. So the year was 1965. Where were you? in 1965. If Sister Johanna was here, she would have been like 73 or something, I think. She's not here, so I can say this. And I'm leaving tomorrow. But I was getting ready to go to kindergarten. So that shows you how old I am. I might be as old as some of your parents, but don't tell me that because I still think I'm pretty young. And my parents had just moved from New York City to a little town called Mawaw, New Jersey. Anybody from New Jersey here? Which part of New Jersey? Oh, so you're more central. I'm way up there in the north, 18 miles from the George Washington Bridge. So we moved there, and my parents were looking for a parish to join in our town and a school to send my sister Linda and I. Well, they went and you know, saw all three places that were there in town, but one place stuck out in particular to them. It was this little Polish parish that had a grammar school that was really tiny of about 600 kids. That was the size of the grammar school. It was the tiny grammar school of 600 kids. And they went up during lunchtime and they noticed something very different from all the other schools that they had ever been to and all the other schools that they had even gone to was that in the playground, there were no teachers and no sisters. They were gone. They were at lunch. There were only two people in the parking lot playground. The pastor, whose name was Father Joseph Hollock, who was 65 years old, and he was in the girls' section of the playground, because this was 1965, 
and boys don't mingle with girls was not allowed. And father was doing double Dutch jump rope with a group of fourth grade girls. And in the other side of the parking lot, the boy side, was Father Al Sokol, who made me out to be the thinnest person in the world if he was standing next to me, with big hands. And he was playing touch football with the middle school boys. And when Father Al touched you in a touch football game, you went whoosh, whoosh, hit the ground. <laughs> Those two men were Salesians. And my mother and father said, if in this parish, the priests in this parish love these children enough to spend their lunchtime with them. That's where we want our family to be. I thought for years it was the job of the pastor to supervise the playground. I don't know if that happened in your parish growing up. The pastor was outside supervising the playground. Go home and tell him, Father Lou, this Salesian who you met said he should be outside with the kids all the time. But that began my love for St. John Bosco. And so what I want to talk to you today about is not necessarily the preventive system. You all here call it the preventive method. We Salesians call it the preventive system of St. John Bosco, il sistimo prevento. Because I know you know the parts of the preventive system, don't you? That if I were to come through this room and ask you to name the four pillars of the preventive system, I could ask any one of you for one, oh, I bothered you already last session. I, I won't do that again. I could ask any one of you, and you would tell me that the four pillars of the preventive system are reason, right? Does it sound familiar? Oh, tell, tell me it sounds familiar, please. Reason, religion, loving kindness, and active presence. If you haven't heard that yet, you will be tested on this in May. I am writing an exam question in any one of your classes for what the preventive system is. Reason, and I can do this, by the way. Reason, meaning that what we do is well thought out for the good of the young. Religion, where we recognize our dignity as children of God. Loving kindness which comes from an Italian word, amore volezza, which means a love that is willed, which is the love that your mother says to you when you really tick her off, and she goes, I love you, but I'm going to bring you kicking and screaming into your future, even if you don't like me. Of course, that never happened to students who are at Franciscan University where your mother would have said anything like that to you. An active presence where we are not on the periphery of the young, we are right in their midst. So in my practice of the preventive system today, I'm not standing at a podium, which is just scaring some of you guys half to death. Like, would you please stand still, Father Lou? No, because Don Bosco would say to the young, here in your midst, I feel completely at home. So. I would sit there, but there's a banana peel there. Or I would be sitting here saying, here in your midst, I feel completely at home. I don't feel completely at home with the banana peel stuck to my body. So, so anyway, those are the four pillars of the preventive system. But what I want to talk to you today about is the spirituality behind the preventive system. What makes a Salesian educator a Salesian educator? You will all at some point read a book by Morrison, 
that has to do with the preventive system. That will teach you the technology things of the preventive system. You might read a book by Father Paul Avalone, which is called Reason, Religion, and Kindness. But I want to talk to you today about the spirituality. And the spirituality of the preventive system is divided into five spirituality pillars. Oh, and by the way, um, I'll leave my um, email address. And if you want this presentation, I will email it to you. How's that sound? OK, very good. So the five pillars are A, oh, one, <laughs> sorry. Living our life to the full. Two, meeting the Lord Jesus. Three, forming community as the church. Four, and this is the easy one, transforming the world. <laughs> I know you're going, really, Father, on a Saturday afternoon? And five, all with a spirit of joy and optimism. I'm doing this for 35 years, and I'm still smiling. I've been coming to Franciscan for 15 years giving this talk, and I'm still smiling, because I believe in it wholeheartedly. So what I'd like to do is to do what good Salesian educators do. I could stand up here and go through the Italian document written by St. John Bosco, go to its Latin roots, and begin to make some philosophical interpretations and applications. Really? Not at all. Or I can do what a good Salesian educator does. I can give a story, make an application, and see how it affects our lives. Okay? So that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to use stories from my own life growing up with the Salesians. Because I've been with them since 1965. That's a test question in May. How long has Father Lou been with the Salesians? 1965. You think I'm kidding that I won't write that question? I won't get that question on a test. <laughs> how long has Father Lou been with the Salesians? Thank you. Okay. Feel better. <laughs> so, living our life to the full. The year was 1967. See, we're starting early here. The year was 1967, and I was in the first grade. And I had a sister in the first grade whose name was Sister Theophane. Now, those of you who know Greek know what Theophane means, don't you? Yeah, you're going to tell me it means light bearer. I know that. Okay, so you're good. Thanks. So, <laughs> Sister Theophane. Sister Theophane had worked in our elementary school from the time it opened in 1920 until the time it closed in 1980. She was the first grade teacher for 60 years. She died in the year 2000 at 110. She, taught, she stopped teaching in the, at the age of 101 because she didn't feel she was, you know, as precise as she once was. <laughs> I'm going, I'm 53. I'm looking forward to, like, retiring soon. <laughs> but Sister Theophane had come from Poland because my town was a very Polish town, and the sisters in our school were really of Polish origin because the school was bilingual. And my mother and father tell the story, and by the way, I was the only non-Pole in the school. My mother and father tell the story about going to their first parent-teacher night, and they walked into class, and they introduced themselves, and they walked out after five minutes, and my mother turned to my father and said, what did she say? Because she had a very heavy Polish accent. And my father says, I don't know, all I heard was, he's good boy, he's good boy. 
Sister knew very little. English was like her ninth language, you know? <laughs> I, I, can, I can say mass in Polish. I can sing Polish songs. My English was horrible in the first grade. But one day in class, and we were a very small first grade. Uh, we were only 71 students in the first grade. Very small, one teacher. My sister's first grade had 103 with one teacher. Thank God you're getting involved in Catholic education now. <laughs> and sister said one day to us, she goes, boys and goyles. She couldn't say girls, it was goyles. Boys and goyles. <laughs> Today we will learn about the beauty of creation. We are going to plant a garden. So I'm six years old, I'm like, this is great. I get to dig in the dirt in my school uniform. <laughs> so sister lined us up in the hallway, boys on one side, girls on the other. And to the girls, she gave a little trowel shovel, and to the boys, she gave a gardening rake to first graders who were six years old. <laughs> it was the beginning of October in northern New Jersey, and we walked out to the backyard of the rectory where sister had not told the pastor, Father Hollick, that she was using the backyard of the rectory to have the first graders plant a garden. <laughs> At the beginning of October of 1967, as the fall was gently settling over northern New Jersey. So she had had a farmer come in from our town to dig up the backyard of the rectory. <laughs> Father was away. And we all started getting, we all got a little piece of ground, right? We started to dig our little spots to put our flowers. And all of a sudden, another dump truck came from the farm. And every first grade boy's eyes lit up. And every first grade girl's eyes went to disgust. And this dump truck dumped a pile of cow manure right next to father's backyard, which was by his back door. And in sister's own way, in some phrase, she told us, all right, boys and goyles, dig in. So we went into the manure with our hands and put the manure on our little piece of ground. And then sister lined us up, boys and girls, smallest to largest. And I was the largest in the boys. I was the first grader in the second grade desk, the second grader in the third grade desk. And sister's giving out flower seeds to the girls and vegetable seeds to the boys. She gets to me and she goes, Lewis, because they always called you by your full name. You are the biggest boy in my class. She's discriminating against me because I'm fat. <laughs> that would be the year 2014. <laughs> this was 1967. Since you are the biggest boy, I will give you the biggest seeds. <gasps> so I got a handful of watermelon seeds <laughs> in northern New Jersey in October 1967. And we all planted our seeds. And every day we would go out and we would water and we would manure and we would manure and we would water and we would manure and we would manure, and we would manure. And you always knew when the first grade was coming back into the building because we had to walk all the way down the hallway to the end. So things started to grow in our spots. 
Of course, there's four million pounds of manure on the ground. Anything would grow on that spot. As we move into November 1967, and the frost is starting to form on the ground in northern New Jersey. One day, sister says to us, boys and goyles, tonight when you go home, I want you to pray hard because God has been taking care to form your flowers and your vegetables underground. And tomorrow, he will work a miracle for you. Go home. I kneel down at my bed at night. My mother and father are thinking, how are we going to tell this boy that his watermelons are not going to grow? <laughs> Next day, I get up. We go to school. Mom walks me to school. We go by the garden. And my eyes bugged open like you wouldn't believe. On my patch of land were four of the biggest, hugest watermelons you had ever seen. There were no stems attached to them. <laughs> it truly was a miracle. God had made my watermelon sprout with no stems. There were carrots. There, there were cucumbers. There were pickles. I had to figure that one out till later. <laughs> There were chrysanthemums, roses that were tied with a bow. I didn't know flowers grew that way. They came up in the ground tied with a bow. God had indeed worked a miracle in our lives. My sisters and brothers, if you were a teacher in my school and you taught that as a science lesson, I would be kicking your behind from here to next week. It is the worst science lesson that you could ever possibly teach. But was Sister Thea Fain's purpose as a Salesian educator to teach a science lesson? No. It was to teach the following things. That God can make the impossible happen. If I pray hard enough, God will listen and answer my prayers. Maybe not in the way I thought he would answer. I'm sure in the second grade, I put flowers in a, I mean, seeds in a Dixie cup and put them on the classroom window, and we had to go check. Remember that kind of stuff? I couldn't tell you if we ever did that. But I know in 1967, in the winter, I harvested watermelons <laughs> from the backyard of my rectory. So, so what is it that we are trying to learn? Okay? And now this is where I've got to go to my sheets so that I don't really mess it up. Okay? And that is that God meets us where we are at this moment. God meets us in the ordinary events of daily life. That the place we need to meet God as educators is here and now. Your holiness, according to Don Bosco, will come from encountering your children when you have them in school where they're at and learning to use where they're at to teach lessons about him. That's what it's about. I once had a teacher who, when I was principal of a high school in Florida, had a group of freshmen that were the most horrid group of students you could have ever met. They really were. That doesn't happen in Franciscan. There are no horrid students in Franciscan. But this school, the freshmen were horrible. And she, she gave up a lucrative career in banking to you know, go back and get her degree and teach religion. That's as much as she believed in the faith. And every morning after morning mass, she would say to me, well, Father Lou, I'm going in. <laughs> I can't wait to see what they have for me today. She went in, like Don Bosco said, anticipating the young. Couldn't wait to see them. 
her whole life as a Salesian educator was in God and looking to find, looking to find God in them. The presence of the young are where we find the Lord in the ordinary events of daily life. Now, let me tell you one of the other reasons why I became a Salesian. When I was looking at various religious orders, and I was taught by the Salesians all my life, I looked and read something that Don Bosco said about the ordinary events of daily life that really inspired me. He said, you know, the way you grow in holiness is doing the ordinary things extraordinarily well. So when it's time to study, give 100% to your studies. That includes college students who are doing catechetics. Mm -hmm. When it's time to play and to recreate and to get some relaxation, run, jump, and shout to your heart's content, but don't sin. Salesian schools are known to be noisy, by the way. We are noisy because we run, jump, and play, and we try not to sin. When it's time to pray, Give 100% of yourself to God. That's why I can have 600 students in my school on my knees in adoration once a month, and you won't hear a pin drop. And this was my favorite line that got me to the Salesians, because pardon to the two sisters who are here, St. Francis never said this, but Don Bosco did. He said, when it's time to eat, eat with gusto. <laughs> I had a saint who told me I could eat with gusto, do the ordinary things of life extraordinarily well. So where do we find God in the Salesian system? Now, maybe St. Francis said that. I don't know enough about St. Francis. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a disclaimer on that one. But the first pillar of the preventive system, the spirituality pillar you need to know, is to live the ordinary events of life extraordinarily well. It's the spirituality of the ordinary life. Our superior general, a few ago, used to call this the spirituality of the daily grind. That sound familiar? I get up, I get breakfast, I go to class, I do homework, I play sports, I play 19 hours of video games, I go to sleep. <laughs> Next day, I get up, I go to breakfast. Well, God is to be found in the ordinary events of daily life. And your job as, a, as an educator who follows St. John Bosco is to help the young find God in all the ordinary events of life. Okay? So that's the first pillar. Four more to go. Can you handle it? Can you deal with me for another six hours while we do the other four pillars? I know, no, it's really not six hours. So I just want you to know. Okay. Second pillar. The second pillar of spirituality is meeting the Lord Jesus. Sounds easy enough, doesn't it? Meeting the Lord Jesus in other people, meeting the Lord Jesus in the young. And now this little story is apologies to Sister Carolyn because many years ago she heard this story when she was in your shoes sitting in these seats hearing me talk. The year was 1976. Father Lou was a junior in high school. Where were you in 1976? Oh, don't even tell me. We're still there, right? We haven't caught up to where you were born yet in 1976. I am so old, it's just not funny. And I was in a Salesian high school, and my religion teacher was a Salesian by the name of Father Joseph Pankowski. Father Joe had been a missionary in China for many years. And when the Salesians were expelled from China back in the early 1950s, 
A lot of religious orders were expelled from China because they didn't want us there. Um, Father Joe, who was from Brooklyn, New York, said, no one's going to kick me out of a country that I was assigned to, so I'm staying and I'm going underground. The only problem with Father Joe is his big mouth did not help him go underground that well. <laughs> Father Joe got caught, got put in a reorientation camp for about seven years, and then we were able to get him back into our country, and he was assigned to Don Bosco Prep in Ramsey, New Jersey, where I went to high school, and he taught all the sophomore religions. Now, Father Joe's experience in the concentration camp was such that the elevator wasn't going to the top floor. I mean, he was just, he was nuts. We loved him, but he was crazy. So we had ducks in our pond in our school, like a hundred of them, and he named all the ducks and knew each one. And our test questions used to be pictures of the ducks, and we had to make sure that we knew the names of the ducks. <laughs> don't, don't, don't do that, and the teachers here are not gonna teach you to do that. This was 1976, it was a different era of catechetics at that time. <laughs> Baltimore catechism out, banner making in. It was just one of those transitions, you know? So we had to name ducks. We also had to do felt banners of the ducks and their families. You might think, why wasn't your mother there complaining? Because my mother believed it's Catholic school. If Father tells you to draw ducks, you draw ducks. If Father tells you to sing to the ducks, you sing to the ducks. That's just how it is, you know? And when we would take tests, he was deathly afraid that we would be cheating. So before every test, we had to stand up, and we were wearing shirt and tie, and we had to roll up our sleeve to make sure that there was nothing stuck up there, take off our watches, take our ties and turn them inside out, and take off our shoes and socks. <laughs> Only then could we take a test. <laughs> so it's the final exam for this religion class. And we come into school that morning. And sitting on the wall of the school, where the buses and the cars would drop everybody off, was a homeless man. Now, that wasn't unusual for where I lived. This homeless man, looking disheveled and, you know, just, just smelled bad and everything, was trying to get money to take the bus to New York City, and the bus went right by our school, and he was asking the students for money for bus. Most students just ignored him and went into the exams. Um, some students made fun of him, you know, really made fun of him, you know, Go out and get a job, then you'll get your own money. But one boy in my sophomore class actually stopped and talked with him and gave him some money. Uh-oh. <laughs> so all the sophomores were in this huge study hall getting ready to take our exam. Don Bosco Prep was a boarding school, so we had these huge rooms. And the bell rang for the beginning of the exam, and Father Joe was sitting at the, at the, at the platform not saying a word. And this one boy is late for the exam, so we're like, this is going to be great. Father Joe's going to just pounce on him for 20 minutes. We're not going to take this exam. This is awesome. So in walks this kid, and behind him, the homeless guy. And Father Joe stands up, and in his best Brooklyn accent, he says, you see that guy? His name is John something. John is my friend. I told him to get dressed and to smell like that and to sit on that wall to see if you people could put into practice what Jesus taught about caring for one another. All of you 
just got an F on your final exam, except for John, he got an A. You're all going to summer school. <laughs> so of course I went home to complain to my mother and said, can you believe this guy? You believe what he did? He's making me go to summer school? She was like, well, you should have given the guy money, then you wouldn't have to go to summer school. <laughs> 261 of us went to summer school for three weeks, except for John. I can tell you that for months, homeless men and women sat on that wall. That story, you could make a hundred bucks sitting on that wall. Because you never knew. But the lesson to be learned was really good, wasn't it? Meeting the Lord Jesus. Don Bosco told us who are Salesians and Salesian educators that you know how you worship Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament? You know how you find Jesus present in the tabernacle and in the Eucharist? It is that same reverence you need to have for the young. They are the tabernacles where you find Christ. Of course, that doesn't mean that you genuflect to your young people when you come in. But right now, my role is to see Christ in each and every one of you. Those that are smiling, those that are going, oh my gosh, how much longer? those who are, you know, to find Christ in you. Now, there are three types of tabernacles in our lives. Y'all know what I'm going to talk about. Tabernacle one, they are the people who radiate goodness and Jesus. You all have them in your life. There's that one or two person that whenever he or she comes into your life, oh my goodness, it's like pure sunshine. I love to see him. I love to see her. She's always positive. She remembers your birthday, your mother's birthday, your grandma's birthday, your dog's anniversary. Uh, the whole that remembers everything. You get cards, little baskets of things. I mean, those are the people that you're just like, man, she's the one that you'll get in the classroom or he. Good morning. I made you cookies. I'll erase the board for you. Can I carry that to your car for you? It's like the person who's just pure sunshine. It's easy to see Christ in them. It really is. Make sure you honor that when you have that person. The second type of tabernacle is the one that most of us are. I don't mean you, I'm just looking around, so you just happen to be there. The second type of tabernacle is the one that most of us are. We are basically good people. I mean, who would be sitting here for a catechetics workshop learning about the faith if they weren't basically good people, right? But we all have our flaws. We all have the things that drive other people completely insane. And we all have a bad day. You're seeing Father Lou very happy because I'm in and out in a day. If you had to work with me every day of the year, you would see the Father Lou face, which is like, you come near me, it's at your own risk, really. <laughs> you know? But we recognize those sides of ourselves, and we recognize when we're not showing forth the tabernacle of Christ, Jesus' presence, and we try to make amends. You'll have kids like that. Kids who are just normal kids in your classroom or in your, in, your, in your program, they'll have bad days. They'll have moments. Find out what the moment is, but honor the Christ in them. Tabernacle number three. You all have one of these in your life. It's the person that for the past three, four, 10, 20, 54 years, you've been looking at them going, I'll pick Sister Bernadette. I know Jesus is in there. I really, really, I believe with all of my heart, but sweetie, I can't see it. 
You're never happy. Everything's always wrong. Now, that's totally wrong for her. You're never happy. Everything's wrong with the world. Somebody gives you a, a birthday card. You go, huh, that's only because she's trying to get something out of me. You know? Oh, what do you do with the kid who's like that? You might have known that when you were in school, there was always the boy or the girl who was never happy in class. They were always miserable. How do you find Jesus in them? You find Jesus in them by looking with the eyes of faith. Don Bosco had a student in his school by the name of Michael Magone. If you read any of the Salesian literature, he became known as General Mickey. Michael Magone was a street gang leader that Don Bosco got to come to his school. They were playing a game of, 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 of cards on the street. Mickey had won about 100 lira, and Don Bosco went into the middle of the game, stole the money, and ran to the oratory where he lived. <laughs> and Mickey came after him to beat the daylights out of Don Bosco for taking his money. Eventually, Mickey stayed at the school, and it took a year, but Don Bosco never gave up on seeing the good in him. And so in that, he was able to convert him back to Christ. True story, 1990, I was ordained a priest. This is my 25th uh, anniversary of ordination, 34 as a Salesian, but 25 as a priest. I took the slow road to being a priest. I, I was very young when I joined. So I was assigned to our orphanage in Tampa, Florida. Anybody here from the Tampa St. Pete area? Where are you from? I do. I, Father Steve was three years behind me. Yes, oh my goodness. Well, you, that school at one time was an orphanage and I was assigned there. And I was a newly ordained priest. I was on fire for Christ. I was getting ready to just blow this thing out of the water, make sure these, these kids who were homeless felt that they were loved. I go into, I had the eighth grade. 36 eighth graders all day to myself. From eight until 12 and from two until five. I know, tough. They boarded there, so the school day was kind of split. Walked in, I'm there for 10 minutes, I'm introducing myself, we're gonna have a great time, yada, yada. Louis Fagan from the back of the room raises his hand. I said, yes. He goes, I just want you to know something. We don't like you. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I said, well, is there a reason? Well, you took Father Bill's place, and we love Father Bill, and he's not here anymore, and we don't want you. We want Father Bill. Now, Father Bill had been moved because Father Bill sadly decided to leave the Salesians, so I couldn't go into detail with the students what had happened. And Louis says, and we're going to make your life a living nightmare until Father Bill returns. <laughs> oh, isn't that a great way to begin your first day of teaching? Woo! <laughs> And, and I also lived with Louis Fagan, so this, this was like a 7 a.m. in the morning to like 10.30 at night thing. That first two months of my teaching, I would have rather have been walking on my lips through West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, things getting thrown around the classroom, noises being made at all times. It was, it, it, was, it was a nightmare. I mean, I really questioned who I was as a teacher. Here I was, a newly ordained priest on fire for Christ, and I was ready to go to a Carthusian monastery and, I don't know, make cheese, I, you know, something. 
Not that that's a bad vocation, but I really, I thought God was calling me to leave the world. Honestly, I, this must be God's way of saying, go to Vermont, there's a Carthusian monastery there. <laughs> but I tried and I, you know, I gave my best. I showed up every day, you know. It's November 1st. We just got back from Mass from All Saints Day. Louis raises his hand and I go, Ugh. yes, Louis. Says, you're still here. I didn't want to say, yeah, because I have a vow of obedience that makes me stay here. <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm still here. Why are you still here? He said, because you're still here. He said, you must love us a lot. I said, <laughs> yes, I do. And uh, Louis says, you know, when Father Bill left, he was the only father we really ever knew here. He was our father, and he abandoned us. And he said, we just wanted to make sure you weren't going to abandon us either. So we promise from now on, nothing else will happen, and we will do what you tell us. From that point on, I could have asked those boys to jump off of the Brooklyn Bridge in Man uh, going, going to Brooklyn, and they would have done that. Of course, my battle scars were great. <laughs> now, does it always happen that way? No, but the, but the bottom line is, if you always honor the Jesus who is present in the young people you work with, Jesus will always win. Maybe in a day, a month, two months, three months, a year, two years, maybe 30 years down the line, a student will come back and say, you know, I was a real pain in the you-know-what. But because of you, my life changed. I got to tell you, you have one of those experiences in your life as an educator that will carry you forever. So the question is, you are not in this as a Salesian educator, as an educator, as a Salesian educator, you're not in this for you. The preventive system, Don Bosco said, the preventive system is harder on the educator than it is for the young person because the educator has to be selfless, generous, and follow St. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, love is patient, Love is kind, love does not put on airs, it is not jealous, it is not proud. It's not all about you. It's about God working through you for the good of the young. So when you have days that really stink, maybe you did something really good for somebody, you're just not seeing it. And I gotta say this, the devil will always try to discourage you. And he will be very subtle and get into you and say, you're not making a difference. Why you bother with this? You bother with this because Jesus is worth it. So, spirituality of the ordinary everyday life, spirituality of meeting the Lord Jesus. Anybody have any questions for me right now? Wow. Yes, sir. Yes, if, if you can find the document called the introduction to, no, I'm sorry, the treatise on the preventive system. If you type in preventive system of St. John Bosco into your search engine, you will find that as one of the first documents. And if you read that little document, Don Bosco never wrote 
a full educational treatise. Morrison's book is our reflection on this over like 150 years. Don Bosco never had time to write a treatise on the preventism. He was too busy running around with kids. All he did was write some things down that we should know in dealing with kids. He left the writing of the system to other people later on. Because at the time of Don Bosco, all you had to do was watch him with kids. He was the living textbook. Yes, sir. It's called the preventive system because at that time in Italy, there were two systems of education in that, that were being used, the repressive system and the preventive system. The repressive system is the one where you lay down the rules and you can't wait for somebody to do something wrong so you can punish them. You know, it's the older systems where kids used to get their hands slapped if their hands weren't on their desk properly or if they weren't sitting up straight. It looks to punish kids. It's vigilant about punishing. The preventive system is the system of education that educators are so present among the young and create an environment that is so loving and respectful that it makes it impossible for the young to do wrong. That's why it's harder on the educator. So like in Salesian schools, like in my school, when it's time for lunch, every teacher is on lunch duty. Every teacher is on lunch duty. When it comes time for mass, every teacher sits in the midst of the young. You know, when it's time for games and everything, the teachers are in the midst of the young, those that can, playing the games with them. It's being so present and involved that it makes it impossible. I walk around my school twice a day and visit every classroom. Unannounced, I walk in, I'll sit down, you know, just, you know, kind of listen to what's going on, maybe, you know, be engaged in the class. And that's for two reasons. One, it's the preventive system for my faculty that helps them to say, you know, I'm here and I'm interested. But it's also for the kids to know that I'm interested and I care enough about them to sit in their classes. And I'll get things like, Father, you gotta come next week to the uh, chem lab. We're doing this really, really neat experiment. And you know what? It's a pain in the tuchus for me to do this. Tuchus is my little word. I'm on tapes, so I gotta watch what I say. <laughs> because I'm the president of the school. I got benefactors to deal with. I'm in charge of the Salesian community for three states. I, I, I've got work out the wazoo at my desk. But my primary job as a Salesian and as an educator is to be present to my kids and to love my kids. The other work can be done at night when the kids aren't there. But to be present to my kids is my greatest joy. It was Don Bosco's greatest joy too. Don Bosco would like drive his secretary's crazy because he had all this paperwork to do for the Vatican, he'd just walk away and go into the courtyard with the kids and run a race with them, tell them a story. He was done. <laughs> kind of like Pope Francis who just decides, okay, I'm going out to hang out with the homeless right now. <laughs> Which I think is so cool, by the way. I just think that is just an amazing thing. Because that's where we find our holiness. You know, I'm going to say something here that might sound a little... Strange to some of you, and you might not agree with me. It's okay not to agree with me, okay? It really is. I won't be offended uh, at all. You've got to learn, as educators, to be as much in ecstasy in your classroom as you are in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I have been here for the holy hours that you have in the field house. I have actually been the priest who has done the holy hours in the field house. And talk about, an, talk about an experience of God at that point. 
it truly is amazing. But if I can't experience that level of holiness in my classroom with my kids, as I lift their tabernacles up to God, the very presence of Christ in them, then I'm not living as a Salesian educator. And you might be saying, Father, what world do you come from? I come from the very real world of not doing it always successfully. Oh, yeah, sometimes I want to lift my kids up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's go. Lift off. But that's what, that, what it can be about. But that was a great question. Thank you. Okay, third pillar. Third pillar. Forming community as the church. Let's move to 1998. Am I within a ballpark now of people being born and present? Okay. It's 1998. We Salesians assume the administration of a school called St. Petersburg Catholic High School in St. Petersburg, Florida. And I went down as the first principal with two other Salesians to that school. And one of the great things they have in that school is they have a great Respect Life Club. By the way, I have come, I've gone to Washington virtually every year, and I'm always impressed with what you guys do in your university for the Right to Life March. Keep it up, really, it's truly impressive. But I took a group of kids on a bus. I said, really great if we went on a bus trip up, up to Washington from St. Petersburg. It'll be fun. We'll take school buses. We'll cut the expense down. Yeah, that trip was just an amazing trip. <laughs> Until we got there. We got there, and we did the march, right? And all of a sudden, we got to the Supreme Court steps, you know, that place, and they've got all of the security that's there, you know. And one of my boys, Jimmy, Jimmy Dawson, said to me, he said, Father Lou, why, why are all these riot police here? I said, well, not everybody comes with the right intention, so you have to understand that the government has to protect the people who are here for peaceful means. But he goes, but it's just not right. We're all here... We're all here to promote life. I said, well, not everybody is here for the right reason, the, the idealism of, of a teenager. So what he does is he kneels down in front of the riot police, and he begins to pray the rosary out loud. And with him, two of his friends kneel down. By the end of the first decade, there were 20 people who had knelt down. By the end of the rosary, there were about 500 people who had knelt down to pray the rosary. I looked at that, one proud papa. <laughs> one proud papa. As some lady said, that's disgusting, they're kneeling down praying the rosary. And so you know, as a proud papa, my horns went up. <laughs> but young people want to be active members of the church. As an educator, the third pillar of Don Bosco in the spirituality is that you have to be dedicated and holy and totally Catholic, and promote our Catholic life. Don Bosco's concern of gathering kids together really had nothing to do with education. Education he did secondarily so that the young people would have a skill to go out into the world and to make a living and make a difference. His primary concern was the salvation of their souls. Why do we practice the preventive system? To save the souls of the young and our own as well. Secondarily, to educate them. Father Lou, you can't be serious. You mean, this has nothing to do with education? 
Secondarily, it does. It's about the salvation of the young. So you have to make sure that you are a credible witness, that you are totally and 100% Catholic, Christian, following the teaching authority of the church, living an upright moral life. I was sharing with some of you in here today the teacher contract from my school that you can't only decide to be Catholic and following the teachings of the church from 7.10 until 3 o'clock, and then afterwards at 3 o'clock, if you live in New Orleans, go to the French Quarter and laissez le bon temps rouler, let it all hang out. <laughs> Which is pretty credible at this time of the year down in New Orleans with Mardi Gras going on. You've got to be convincingly Catholic in everything you do if you're going to be an educator. So from the moment you get up in the morning until you wake up the next morning, everything about your life needs to be following the teachings of the church. You form communion with the church and you become a credible witness to the young. It's not about half measures. I remember a teacher I had when I was in graduate school by the name of Sister Mary Angela Shaughnessy. She taught school law. And the first day of class, she said to us, you work for the Catholic Church. Therefore, you agree to abide by and follow everything that the Catholic Church teaches in everything it does 24 hours a day. If you don't agree with the Catholic Church or refuse to follow her teachings 24 hours a day, don't work for the Catholic Church. She closed her notes and walked out of the lecture hall. Now, I'm going to say something here that I might not be invited back again. I know you're all going, what could you possibly say? <laughs> In my role as a priest, I hear a lot of teachers, not a lot, some. Now, I'm telling you this before you go out because I don't want to hear this from you. I hear a lot of people saying things like, well, it was easy to follow the teachings of the church before Pope Francis came along, and now he's changing everything, so I really don't want to follow everything that Pope Francis says. <laughs> don't ever let me hear you say that. Don Bosco's love was for Jesus and the Blessed Sacrament, Mary, Help of Christians, and our Holy Father, the Pope. Pope Francis is charged with leading us now through the power and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And before you judge what Pope Francis says, make sure you read what Pope Francis said and not what other people said Pope Francis said. <laughs> of course, we all know the latest one, it's okay to smack kids around, they need it. That's not what he said. <laughs> or all dogs go to heaven. That's not what he said, you know what I mean? like. <laughs> The same thing happened to Don Bosco, Pope Pius IX, who was the Holy Father back in the 1800s, when Italy was beginning to unite and the papal states were in danger of losing everything, there was a lot of negative talk about Pope Pius IX, even among churchmen, who didn't like some of his changes and everything he was doing. Don Bosco never stopped supporting Pope Pius IX. In fact, the boys in his oratory, to show their support when he was exiled, took up a collection. Their pay they got from going out to their jobs every day they collected for a month, and I don't know how much it was, it couldn't have been that much, but it was sent to Pope Francis 
I mean Pope Francis, Pope Pius, <laughs> as a gift from the boys of the oratory to show their love and support. Pope Pius IX never forgot that. We have to be loyal to everything that is Catholic. A crossword about the Holy Father should never come out of you. If you're not understanding something, make sure you ask somebody. But you support the church. This is our church today. Be as loyal to Pope Francis as you've been to other Holy Fathers. You are not the arbiter and judge of that. Especially to the young. That's not your job. Your job is to teach the Catholic faith. And make sure you do that. Okay, I'm done. That was my little soapbox for that. Okay, fourth pillar. You're like, oh my goodness, Father, where are you going? Fourth pillar, transforming the world. So, as director of Don Bosco Prep in 2008, so I can assume we're all around in 2008, we had this program where our, our kids every day was called, well, every week was called the Midnight Run, where the kids in my school would make food and collect coats, and we would take the train into New York City, which was not too far away, and we would pass out food and clothing to people along the PATH train route in New York City who had nowhere to go, who had no shelter, who had no anything. So... The kids were doing this for a while, and one day there was a homeless guy who came into the Times Square subway station and said, oh my goodness, everything's wrong with the world. The Vietnam War is killing everybody. This is 1978, right? It's going on and on about this. I mean, uh, 1998. Going on and on about this. And one of the boys in the group, Tommy, I was trying to keep the kids away from this guy because he was completely nuts, went up to the man and sat and talked with him. Gave him food, gave him something to wear, and the guy ranted, and about 10 minutes into the rant, the, this man stopped and said, I want to thank you, son. For years, I've wondered who Jesus was, and tonight I have found him in you. And with that, the man went back to being crazy, to talking <laughs> crazy. From that, Tommy started a ministry in New York City, which to this day, on a weekend, will feed over 1,000 homeless people along the PATH train and provide clothing and shelter for hundreds in New York City. That one gift of being able to, have, to find Christ there. He transformed the world because he listened to Jesus. Don Bosco transformed the world because he had a boy come to his door when he was living with his mother in the Valdoco section of Turin, trying to discern what God wanted for him to do, and this young boy had nowhere to go for the night. And Don Bosco and Mama Margaret took him in used a drawer from the dresser and made a bed for him. That's as small as he was. Kept him overnight. Mama Margaret gave him some good words for the night to put him to sleep. And that was really the beginning of Don Bosco's work. With one kid, he transformed the world. So with you, and I'm coming to the end now because I know some of you have some place to go at four. I have another three hours of material to go, but I'm not going to do it. All of this that I have talked about, ordinary daily life, meeting the Lord Jesus, forming communion as the church, transforming the world. The fifth pillar is the way you got to do it. It's joy and optimism. It's being happy. I'm not saying that you shouldn't be serious about the matters that are serious, 
But as you get into that classroom, as you go out to be with the young, as you educate the young to faith, your face needs to show that this is the only place you'd rather be, this is the best place you wanna be, and I am the happiest because I am doing the Lord's work in talking to you about Christ and his message of love and his message of faith. That's what it's about. You will do your best catechizing, not in the classroom. I know you're like, then why am I wasting my time? You will do your best catechizing when you're standing outside with a young person and they're sharing with you their problems and you give them a reason to hope and you say a Hail Mary with them. Those will be your greatest moments. So, living the ordinary events of life extraordinarily well, meeting the Lord Jesus, forming communion as the church, transforming the world, all in a spirit of joy and optimism that will be on your final exam in May, I will send the question. So I want to thank you for your, t <laughs> wow. Listen, I do want to thank you for, you know, kind of hanging in there with me. I, I really love coming here and talking about Don Bosco. And I really love and pray for all of you every day. You, you are our best witnesses to the faith in this school. And uh, out of any place in our country, the students in catechetics at Franciscan remain very close to my heart, along with the young that I work with. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.